up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Monday. Time for a weekly recap. Week 10 is almost in the books. Sunday is locked down. I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host of the daily CBS Sports NFL Podcast, now with T-shirts. Joining me on the phone, live via video. You'll hear them audibly, though. Ryan Wilson. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Brinson. John Breach. Uh, if I stop talking, it's because I'm trying to pull some strings and get Brinson unblocked by Derek Carr on Twitter. <laughs> we will definitely get to that in a second. And Sean Wagner-McGuff. Hey, pal. How's it going? Oh, no. Sean's – is it late, Sean? I'm a, I'm a little bit tired. Are you sad? No, I'm, I'm happy. Are you, are you happy? All right, we're all right. We'll dive into this. Let's get into these games. We're going to start at the top with um, Sunday Night Football. Eagles. Hosting the Dallas Cowboys. I need some, like, background music. Dun, 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 dun. Or something along the I could get it from my computer. Uh, Carson Wentz goes 32 of 44 for 360 yards and two touchdowns. Almost all of it, which went to Zach Ertz, who had 145 yards. And it didn't matter because Zeke Elliott dominated on the ground. 19 carries, 151 yards and a touchdown. Dak Prescott also went 26 of 36 for 270 yards and a score. And the Cowboys, Ryan, go into Philly, beat the Eagles 27 to 20, and both teams are now four and Five, what's your big takeaway from this game? Well, it's an embarrassing showing by the by the Eagles. Uh, every one of us in our CBSSports.com expert picks, all eight of us, even those not on this podcast, picked the Eagles to win. They were going into the week. It was six and a half. I don't know what it was. You're the degenerate gambler or what it was by kickoff. Seven and a half. But no, what was it? Seven, Seven and, and a half. half, yep. Oh, Jesus. So, yeah, anyway, the <laughs> Eagles – Started slow, but then again, so did the Cowboys, so they were going back and forth. Then the Cowboys somehow sort of got hot, as you point out, mostly because of Zeke, not because of Zach, uh, Zach, Dak, um, even though his numbers weren't terrible. He did not play uh, particularly well. And I think that's actually a big issue down the road for the Cowboys this offseason. We've heard Jerry say a week or so ago that they're going to give him an extension. That sounds like something you might want to talk about with other people in the organization before you make such an announcement to the media. But that's a story for another time. Uh, the Eagles didn't show up. Carson Wentz looked actually pretty good, and, and I think that's good news for the Eagles after his slow start, coming back from, uh, as you guys might know, his ACL injury. But um, <laughs> he looked sharp, I thought, other than the interception to Van Der Esch, which I don't know what happened there. Otherwise, he was sharp. I think the big issue is the defense, and I don't know how you fix that defense over the final two months of the season uh, to the point where they can now be competitive. Uh, next week they go to New Orleans. And if you go to New Orleans without a defense, you're going to get a 50-burger dropped on you. Just ask your buddy John Breach about that. So uh, that's <laughs> troubling. <laughs> and I to, to lose to this Cowboys team at home coming off your bye when you were, had a chance to get within – to stay within two games uh, of the suddenly resurgent Redskins, I guess, after what they did to Tampa Bay – that just tells me that you weren't prepared and that there may be no easy solutions uh, in the near term in, in order to fix all this mess. I thought the concerning thing, too, is that the Eagles were coming off a bye, right? Weren't they coming off a bye? Yeah, yeah. they coming off a bye. Like, they have the better coaching staff. Um, they have a defense that can do what you want to do against the Cowboys, which is, in theory, slow down Zeke Elliott, bottle him up, make Dak Prescott throw. When you do that to Dak Prescott – 
um, you know, you, you make them one dimensional and you, you wreck, you take them right off the tracks. Now, I'll say this. I'll give Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan credit. They played as if they thought they were going to get fired if they lost. Like they coached. Well, why does it have to come to this point for them to not be terrible coaches? Well, that's what I was thinking. That's just sort of human nature. Like, they're just terrible coaches. Yeah. They're just, yeah. They can't help it. Yeah. Jason Garrett. It's not human nature because Doug Peterson didn't wait till he got fired to be a good coach. Well, I'm, I'm saying that human nature for conservative people is to wait until your back's up against the wall and then be aggressive. Like, they just get like, all right, fourth and seven, let's go. We're going for it. We don't care. Fourth, fourth and two, whatever. Let's go. We got to win this Make thing. Fun. JC, he was like not clapping as much. You can tell he's been, he's been reading Twitter a lot. Um, we could see an extension from Jerry Jones at some point in the near future. I don't, I mean, like. That's a joke. You keep saying that, but that's not real. Mm, yeah. Do you think Jerry Jones is more likely to fire Jason Garrett? If he goes above 500, he's not getting fired. But we I think if about he this. goes 500, he's fine. I think the thing is that Jerry likes the fact that he can control the little his little ginger puppet. <laughs> 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 he ain't Jimmy Johnson, and we've talked about that before. I think that's the big sort of thing. But I would imagine Stephen Jones, his, his son, who seems to have a lot of pull, might have something to say about that. Yeah, I mean, it's wild – Oh man, it's a wild like last six games for the Cowboys when you kind of sit back and think about it because they, you know, they, they took care of the Lions at home in a game that they definitely could have lost. Um, they lost to the Texans in a game that they definitely could have won that Sunday night game. Um, then they got blown out by the Jaguars, or then they blew out the Jaguars, excuse me. Then they lost, um, to Dallas in that, that horrific game. Um, they weren't off a bye because they lost to the Titans on Monday night. What are we talking about? Of course they weren't off a bye. They lost. No, the Eagles were off. Yeah, the Eagles were on the bye. The, the um, clearly high. Cowboys got absolutely <laughs> embarrassed on national television six days yes, ago yes, and yes, somehow yes, bounced yes. back. And that's yes. even a worse story to paint if you're the Eagles. Yeah, and so that's what I'm saying. Like the Cowboys have been up and down. Like they've they've bounced back and forth on these on these last six games. And then you go to Atlanta, and then you get the like I could definitely see them going to Atlanta, getting humiliated, then coming back home and beating the Redskins. I mean, but they, we, we said it coming in to this stretch. These next four games are going to determine their season, determine whether or not they have a shot at the playoffs. Um, if you had to power rank breach your, uh, the, the top two teams in the NFC East, what, who would they be? I mean, I would go Redskins and Cowboys because everything we just said about the Eagles, like, not only did they come off this bye, but like you guys just said, the Cowboys played Monday. So the Cowboys literally had one extra day uh, or one less day of rest yeah. off a normal week and played a team that had an entire week of rest. And so for the Eagles to come out and just, uh, you know, they were ugly. I think they went 132 yards in the first half. It looked like they didn't care. It looked like Jason Garrett was coaching the Eagles in the first half. You know, that's exactly how I expected the Cowboys to come out and play. Uh, but then the Cowboys, you know, they got smart and they said, all right, let's just give it, uh, Zeke the whole time and do nothing else. So I do think the Cowboys have the first or second most talent in the division, but you know, whether or not Garrett and Linehan can sustain actual good coaching for more than one game is a big question. By the way, the Eagles only had one drive in the first half that went more than 50 yards. Um, and that resulted in a turnover on downs. They, you know, they put three points up on the board, uh, going into half and they started to kind of get their mojo going. Zach Hurts was catching a ton of passes later. Uh, you just can't wait that late to, to, to figure it out. And 
You know, they, they, they weren't very good on third down early on. They did finish four of 10. They let the Cowboys go eight of 16 on third down. Uh, that's not what you want to do. Had outgained them in total net yards. The Eagles did, um, on less plays and they just couldn't, couldn't get out. They couldn't, couldn't get off the field on defense too, which I think is a major red flag. All right. Moving along. Sean, the Patriots at the Titans. That's a big game for Marcus Mariota, my friend. Uh, in fact, if you look at the stats, Sean, here's what I think is interesting. Marcus Mariota over his last eight quarters playing some pretty good football um, on a scale of one to ten. How big a game is this for changing the AFC and uh, and giving the Titans a boost this season? Oh, I think it's, it's a ten, and not just because of the Titans' chances to catch the Texans in the AFC South, but because – the Patriots are trying to catch the Chiefs, and the Chiefs only have one loss, and they don't look like they're slowing down anytime soon. This is the Patriots' third loss. This is a game that could shape home field advantage. I don't know if the Chiefs are going to get the three losses. I think they could lose to the Rams in a couple weeks in Mexico City. But beyond that, they don't look like a team that's going to lose to to bad teams. And the Patriots, this is the second time now that they have gone on the road against a team that's not great. I don't know what to make of the Titans yet because – Look, they look good at the beginning of the year, and then they had that three-game losing streak, and now they've looked great over the last two weeks, so I'm still not really sure what to make of them. But for the Patriots, they've been susceptible on the road. They lost to Matt Patricia, and, and then today they lost to Mike Vrabel. Um, and they really got dominated in all three phases of the game today, it, or Sunday. The, the Titans held a lead the entire game. The Patriots didn't get closer to with, within four points. Mariota outplayed Tom Brady. The defensive line for Tennessee really got after Brady, and Brady really didn't have anyone open downfield. This was this wasn't a fluke. This was utter domination. And I know I said on this podcast a week ago that I thought the Patriots were maybe the third best team in the AFC, and this to me kind of reinforced it. I don't want to leap to too many conclusions because we've seen we've seen the Patriots lose games before, and it doesn't matter come January, and ultimately it might not matter come January. But I still have a lot of questions about the Patriots. And I still have a lot of questions about the Titans because I'm not sure this one game suddenly turns them in to contenders for the favorites in the South. So are you saying you think that the Patriots are frauds? <laughs> you, you looking for your headline for your, your post tomorrow? No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write a post. No, no, I, make, I think the I'll Patriots make... are good, but without Gronk, I think there's, there's, they have, they have some serious flaws. And I said last week that to me, they were a team that needed home field advantage to go back to the Super Bowl in the AFC. And this is a game that could make it impossible for them to capture home field advantage. Um, I do think the, so here, here's what I wrote about the, uh, if I can, if I can get it brought up very quickly, what I wrote about the Titans and looking at Marcus Mariota's, um, just his performance in the last eight weeks. And I thought Dan Graziano of ESPN had an interesting story. He talked to Matt LaFleur, um, after that game and LaFleur said that, um, they've been having, the, the Titans have been having trouble with Marcus Mariota because he's too nice. He won't veto, he won't veto any of the calls he doesn't like. And so he just runs the plays, even if he doesn't like them. And, and finally they were like, look, dude, you gotta tell us if you don't like these plays. Um, weeks one through seven, he missed week two because injury. 99 to 150, that's 66%. Uh, 1,030 yards, three touchdowns, five interceptions, 6.9 yards per attempt. Weeks nine and 10, completing 69.8% of his passes, 500 yards almost, four touchdowns, no interceptions, 8.8 yards per attempt. I mean, his stats are, way up. He looks more comfortable with the offense. I think the Titans are doing a better job incorporating Deion Lewis. I know Derrick Henry had two rushing touchdowns in this game and like 50 rushing yards, but Deion Lewis is clearly their feature back. And I think the Titans can win that division. I know that Ryan's a, a Texans honk. I think I don't think the Titans are dead yet. 
one real quick on Mariota. It's like we shouldn't dismiss the fact that he was dealing with an injury that had numbness in his throwing hand. And it's almost like maybe that could have made a difference during his, his slump during their losing streak. And if he is healthy now and if he has been healthy the last two weeks, which he kind of indicated at the end of the Cowboys win on the field when the ESPN was interviewing that he was feeling better now with his hand. It's almost like, you know, being able to feel football in your hands might actually matter. Okay, but what, wait, what I want to know is in the world of Ryan Wilson conspiracy theories, number one theory, Belichick let Matt Patricia win in the Detroit game. Now we've got Mike Vrabel. Did your boy Belichick just lay over flat and let Vrabel beat him down, Wilson? Here's, here's my conspiracy. It's not so much a conspiracy theory. It's just a theory. Uh, Mike Vrabel does not want to be associated as part of the Bill Belichick coaching tree because he never – did he ever coach on that staff? No. I think no, he was no. just a player, right? Yep. And the players seem to do a much better job against their coach than the former coaches do. Bill O'Brien, I don't think he's ever beaten them. Romeo Cornell got regularly stomped. Uh, we mentioned um, – uh, well, Patricia just won, but I'm sure – Mangini. He's, he's been terrible everywhere else. Mangini's been terrible. McDaniels, McDaniels got, beat him. He beat him in that uh, – when they started undefeated. In, in, uh, six and oh. No, no, he yeah. did. But, the he's crowd. Yeah. Wow. But, but, I was I actually that, thinking about it today. He was a jerk about it too, but it, it came back and bit him. I, mean, I was it, sure. It, it, I was sure that was before Sean's time, but here we are. Yeah, he knew that one. But at the end of the day, all those coaches that were a part of that tree had terrible records. Um, Matt Patricia not excluded, even though he beat, according to my conspiracy theory, and it was no accident. Bill Belichick. But I think Mike Vrabel actually appears to be a good coach. I love the fact that he's aggressive. He goes forward on fourth downs regularly. And um, you look at him, and I can tell what he's thinking. Don't associate me with Bill Belichick as part they, of as part of being on his staff. He kind of ran it up on the Patriots, not in terms of scoring, but the Patriots in the fourth quarter try to run a trick play with Julian Edelman throwing a pass to Brady on third down, and Brady catches the pass. He's wide open, and the, the grass trips him, and he falls short, and they end up going for a fourth down. They don't get it. On the Titans' first play on the ensuing series, they run the exact same play. What kind and Mariota of, catches it for 20 yards. What kind of idiot calls that play to a 41-year-old man who has never, ever in his life been fast? Right. We saw it happen in the Super Bowl. Like, he's either just not going to catch it or he's not going to be able to run for five yards. Anything else on that game? Breach, you want to weigh in on the on – the, I mean, you want to – maybe, Breach, you like clicks. You want to call the uh, Patriots frauds? I would never call the Patriots frauds because – Look, the Patriots are the Patriots. They're going to be playing in the AFC title game. We're going to be laughing at ourselves. Uh, we're going to be laughing at everything Sean said about them not being able to get to the championship or get to the Super Bowl because they didn't get home field advantage. Uh, the Chiefs might be a 40-point favorite if these two teams play in the playoffs in Kansas City, but I would still take the Patriots. And until the Patriots, you know, lose two games in a row, 34 to 10 or three games in a row, I'm never concerned with just one loss with the Patriots because they're real good at fixing their problems, figuring out what they were. And like Sean said, they didn't have Gronk. Sony Michelle just coming back after that injury. So the offense is still trying to kind of get in a groove. And so, you know, I'm never worried about the Patriots. Sorry, no headline, no frauds. Hey, Breach, how do you think Deion Lewis's comments are going to age? Uh, I mean, obviously going to come back and, and slap him in the face probably by next week. Uh, but when the Titans aren't in the playoffs and the Patriots are, you know, I'm sure we'll hear a passive-aggressive comment from, like, Belichick. By the way, the, so the Patriots are now 7-3. and three. They haven't played the Jets yet. They've only played the Bills once. 
Uh, they do have to play at Pittsburgh and the, the suddenly uh, second overall in the AFC Steelers. We'll get to them in a second. Uh, and they have the one more game with the Dolphins and one more game with the Vikings. So, I mean, worst case scenario, uh, the Patriots are going 11 and, and 5 here and they'll probably beat the Vikings at home, probably beat the Steelers because the NFL will rig it so that that way they get the, the second overall seed. Um, so really I could see them winning their final six games and, and being 13 and 3 and this all being a stupid little thing that we even bother to talk about. The Seattle Seahawks at the Los Angeles Rams. Russell Wilson. <laughs> I'm just going to dive right in on this. And the, 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 uh, the Rams won this game, 36-31. It was a very entertaining game. Uh, Rashad Penny rushed for 108 yards. And there's some dude who's like a Seahawks writer for hawkblogger.com or something like that. And he said he would get a tattoo of Rashad Penny's face with it, with Rashad Penny's eyes on his nipples. If Rashad Penny managed to come out and run for a hundred yards and he's like, as the game's going along, everybody starts seeing the tweet and picking up on it, picking up on it. Now, now he's saying he's going to get a temporary tattoo. Um, breach. Do you feel okay with the idea that the guy can settle this bet with a temporary tattoo or does he, should he, should he have to pay up? Uh, you got to pay up. There's no out here. There, that, that is such a cop out. You say you're going to get temporary tattoo. It's like when Sean said the Pick Six podcast gets to a hundred thousand subscribers, he's going to get a Brinson tattoo on his face. <laughs> this is uh, how heard, fake news actually works. You just say something and no one actually goes back and checks. I heard the conversation, Sean. <laughs> I was a part of it, and so I think if you're going to tweet out something that's stupid or say something that's stupid, I think Brinson, you are like the president of this club. You said you were going to eat paper or something if the Jags made the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, a year or two ago, I can't remember when it was, and I think you actually ate the paper. This is uh, no. What, what I'm sorry, I got to interrupt because <laughs> you guys are coming after me for saying something I didn't say. Brinson wrote on the internet, it's there, that he would eat a shoe if the Falcons made a Super Bowl, and the Falcons made the Super Bowl, and he, he didn't eat a shoe. <laughs> so, of course, Brinson relates to this guy who's actually copping out. This is what Brinson does. This is probably Brinson's burner Twitter account. It is him that is supposed to get the Seahawks tattoo on his chest. Hey, Brinson, pro tip, uh, next time you tweet something stupid, just delete it, even if, <laughs> even if it's right No, out. it's in an article. It was in his Madden sim. No, he I said – going to the Super Bowl, he said, if this actually happens, I would eat a shoe. If the Falcons win the Super Bowl, I I would even oh, here we go. It's, I mean, I mean, it's in the article. <laughs> well, you also and, pissed and, off and, David Carr, so where are we at? We'll get to David Carr in a second. Um, any, anyway. By the way, we have David Carr on the line right now. David. <laughs> you've been, that would have been a good idea. We should have executed that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he would uh, totally answer that. Mr. Mittens. Um, okay, so anyway, the uh, – Cooper Cup probably suffered a torn ACL in this game. That is it. To me, that's a big blow. Um, that sort of like when Cup was missing time, the Rams really started to slow down a little bit on offense. Todd Gurley, still fantastic. 16 carries, 120 yards. Jared Goff, 28 of 39 for 318 and two touchdowns. Brandon Cooks had 100 yards receiving and rushed for a nine yard touchdown. Um, but I, I, do you think, uh, Sean, that the, that the, the Rams defense is still a concern here because to me it is like I get if you give up I don't know yeah I, I think mean, it's it's funny that we've gone from the Rams being the best team in football the only undefeated team in football to them losing to two good teams one the Saints and the Seahawks maybe not a playoff team but they're definitely competitive and suddenly now it seems like the Rams not in the conversation even for best team I would put the Saints and the Chiefs over over them and I think the problem is that their defense is consistently getting burned by whichever offense they're playing. And I don't, look, I, I don't, it, beating the Seahawks is hard. I think it's a good win. Um, 
But, um, sorry, Princeton just sent you, me you keep, just keep talking. Yeah, act like you've been here before, Sean. Act like you've been here. Uh, here's what I actually said as it relates to the Falcons and the eating of the shoes. I said, if the Steelers, Jaguars, Falcons, and Saints are all the, or the four teams in the championship game, I will eat a shoe. And that didn't come close to happening. So don't, don't, you're fake newsing me. Anyway, you're Rams. I, 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 I can't believe you just you went back and found it. Um, you're right. Seconds. I was trying to fake news you. Uh, I just I don't think that we should panic about the, the Rams, but I think you're right. Is that they have a real problem, and maybe this changes if Talib comes back and if he can help them. Um, Fowler actually he had a couple dumb penalties, but he also kind of looked good in little stints there. So maybe if Fowler helps them, if he can improve the pass rush coming around the edges. I don't like. I don't think losing to the Seahawks or beating the Seahawks by five is a reason to panic. And this was a game the Rams. It felt like they were in control to the last couple of minutes when they had to punt back to the Seahawks. Um, but I think their lack of a defense is enough of a concern to say that it will probably matter come January. And I agree with you. Losing Cooper Cup matters. It's this is the type of injury that can turn the top contender into just one of the normal contenders. It certainly can turn the top. Turn, turn indeed. Turn, yeah, certainly can put a turn in the punch bowl. Uh, Breach, speaking of the other top contenders in the NFC, the New Orleans Saints, I, I mean, I'm not trying to bury your Bengals here, and I'm, I know, look, it, you had a rough day as it is, but you were assigned this game before, so I'm, I'm throwing it to you. Um, the Bengals got curb stomped. They got a 50-burger dropped on them by the Saints, who I think – would you agree the Saints are the best team in the NFL right now? Oh, absolutely. Just watching the Saints, there's no weaknesses. And let me just say that it's not like the Bengals are a bad team. This was a 5-3 and three team. This was the only game on Sunday where we had two teams with a winning record. So you expected, hey, maybe this will be one of the best games of the day. And then it was the total opposite. You know, like, if you're watching this, as a, if you watch that game as a Bengals fan, it was like watching a Saw movie and the Saints were Jigsaw. And they were just coming up with new ways to murder you. It was like, oh, here's a touchdown pass to Michael Thomas. Oh, here's one to Mark Ingram. Oh, here's Alvin Kamara scoring two touchdowns. It was just absurd. There's, I don't understand. I don't see how anyone can stop that offense. I don't think there's any defense in the NFL good enough to stop that offense. And then if you play a team like the Chiefs, I think the Saints can win a shootout with anyone because I think their defense is just good enough. I mean, we saw what they did with the, to the Bengals, even though the Bengals didn't have A.J. Green. And it was just, I mean, it was a beatdown of epic proportions. But I will say this about the Bengals is that following them for the past few years under Marvin Lewis, pretty much Marvin Lewis's whole entire career, he doesn't beat good teams. He beats bad teams. I've come to accept that. I think Bengals fans have come to accept that. You know, you look at their losses this year. They lost to the Steelers. They lost to the Chiefs. They lost to the Panthers. All good teams. They're going to beat the bad teams on their schedule. They'll probably beat the Ravens. They have two games left against the Browns. They'll probably win both of those. Play the Raiders. They're going to win that. They're going to eke and claw their way to nine, maybe ten wins, and then get blown out in the playoffs. We've seen it all before, so no concern from a 51-14 loss. But, yes, I do think the Saints are the best team in the NFC. I think it was 55. It's 51-14. It was 51? The Saints had – I mean, you look at the, you look at wow. the, you look at their drive charts and it is pretty stunning. So they had in the span uh, in the second quarter alone, they had three drives that went that were between sixty and seventy five yards that were less than five minutes and that resulted in the touchdown. And then they they picked off Andy Dalton with like eight seconds left to go in the half and and still managed to throw a t- another touchdown uh, to go up big. They didn't punt once. 
Um, you know, you, you, you look at it and they, they went seven to 12 on, on third down. The Bengals, by the way, oh and six on third down. That won't, uh, that won't get you very far, uh, in life. 500 total net yards for the Saints. And as Ryan, uh, pointed out in our Slack room, um, Jeff Duncan tweeted, in allowing 509 yards to the Saints today, the Bengals have now surrendered 4,091 yards in nine games. Their average of 454.6 yards a game puts them on pace to easily break the Saints all-time record from 2012. So congratulations, Breach. Your team is coached by a defensive uh, guru who can't win playoff games or coach defense. Let me ask Breach this. What happened to this defense? Like, why are they suddenly this unbelievably terrible? And it's not all because of Paul Gunther, I would imagine. Well, I mean, getting your you you bring in a new defensive coordinator trying to put in a new system, and no one understands it, cares about what's going on. They have one good, you know, I it's hard to explain. It's the linebackers look lost. They couldn't cover anybody. Uh, you know, William Jackson on Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas won that, and that's your best corner getting beat up. So no one else is going to do anything else. It's it's really is perplexing though that they're giving up. 500 yards a game that doesn't even seem plausible uh but they somehow do it and you have there's no pass rush Geno Atkins has kind of disappeared uh the past few weeks I don't think we've mentioned his name on the podcast in two months so it's like everything is going wrong all at the same time I don't think the defense will be this bad for the rest of the season but they are bad is the is the AFC North over yeah so I feel like a month ago you can make a case for three teams. A month ago, we were making fun of Ryan on this podcast. Like, ah, the Steelers and now it's suck. over. And now the Steelers are in cruise control. Um, here, I got a theory on, um, on why the Bengals defense sucks. They played the Steelers, Chiefs, Buccaneers, and, and Saints, and they've given up 481, 551, 576, and 509. They hadn't given up, you know, they gave up almost 500 yards to the Atlanta Falcons too. They just, <laughs> but, but I mean, like those are five of the, Seven best offenses in football, and they just hemorrhage yards to him. You know, you don't love the four twenty-five to the Ravens in week two, but but the Bengals have given up two point three miles worth of yardage to their to their opponents. That's not good. I mean, they also got burnt by Fitz Magic. Pretty much every game on their schedule, they've <laughs> uh, been torched. Yeah, well, that's that's the weird thing because they're not typically a bad defensive team. Well, they're in luck because they got the Ravens, Browns, Broncos before they'll they'll get smoked. They're by face them. Lamar Lamar Jackson though. Mm, that's right. Scared about that breach? You are scared. You know you're scared. Uh, Browns, Browns actually look pretty good. Let's talk about those Browns. Um, cause they, to me, are the most, maybe the most interesting game from, uh, week 10. They beat the Falcons straight up. Let's look at the NFL picks page and see who, who would have predicted that. Would anybody have had the huevos to predict JLC, that? It seems like he would have based oh, on Oh, no, no, no. You already know. I know who predicted that. It's me! It's me. I'm the only one who predicted it. Is that before? Of course, it was going to be him. Yeah. Why would I bring that up if I didn't already know I was the one who did it? Um, the Cleveland Browns behind Nick Chubb, looking fantastic. He lit it up for fantasy owners on this day. Twenty carries, 176 yards, and a touchdown. A 92-yard touchdown, by the way. Baker Mayfield had as many touchdown passes, three as he had incompletions. 17 to 20, 216 yards. Became the first. Rookie quarterback to post a passer rating above 150 in a single game. Browns rookie quarterback. No, rookie quarterback, I think. I can't imagine that. With Roethlisberger played in 2004, all his games were 150. With more than 20 passes. Roethlisberger was a game manager. He never played anything um, 
anything more than uh anything more than like seven passing attempts. <laughs> That's probably right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mayfield is the first rookie quarterback in NFL history to record a passer rating of at least one fifty on twenty or more passes in a single game, Ryan. First rookie That's quarterback. That's true. Ever. Wow. Okay. Good. Yeah. Right. Just had to double check. Uh, Chubb's 92 yard run was the longest rushing touchdown in franchise history and the second longest touchdown run by a rookie in NFL history. Only, uh, Bobby, your good friend Bobby Gage of the Steelers, Ryan, had a longer run. He, uh, played for the Steelers in 1949 when you were, uh, I was there. Yeah, of course you were. <laughs> um, I look, I gotta tell you, when you look at the Browns, I mean, for me, uh, Ryan, I look at the Browns what do you, what are you making that news, Sean? What are you doing? When you look at the Browns, do you get excited? Like, this is a team that should have hope, right? No, I've liked the Browns from week one. I was worried when they opened the season against the Steelers because I knew that all the young, talented, fantastic players they had, and they tied that game with Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley, you know, slap fighting the sidelines, and now they got rid of those two numb nuts. Um, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Greg Williams is going to get hired for this job full time. No, no, he's not. No, he's not. Which is, you look at that maniac over there and you know he's plotting and scheming and finding, <laughs> doing what he's got, whatever he has to do to get this Stroking job. Stroking that bleached goatee. Yeah, that jet black goatee. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I love watching this team and I, I, I've liked Baker Mayfield for a while. I thought the way he played today was the way that Jimmy Haslam thought. Johnny Manziel was supposed to play four years mm. ago when he just saw like the YouTube hi- highlight videos from Texas A&M and he didn't really know that Johnny Manziel <laughs> had all this other baggage. But, uh, yeah, he's fantastic. Nick Chubb's fantastic. Duke Johnson is continuing to get the ball more. Uh, Freddie Kitchens, the offensive coordinator is doing a lot of, uh, inventive, borderline weird things. He was running like the wishbone for like the first half of this game <laughs> and they were dominating the, the Falcons for the first few series. And then for some stupid reason, he called like a, a, a running back pass. And through like a Fitz Magic arm pun interception that sort of stymied their their uh, progress for a while there, but they got back on track. Um, meanwhile, I don't know. I think the Falcons are done cakes because they're in a terrible division to try to come back. They're four and five now. Their defense stinks. Um, some of that's injuries, but some of that's just they're terrible. And um, for as good as Matt Ryan's played. You ain't gonna win, just like we saw with Carson Wentz. You ain't gonna win with just a quarterback and no defense. But I think uh, the Browns are playing really good football, and Breach sort of poo pooed the idea that the Bengals are just gonna run roughshod over the Browns. I don't know if that's gonna happen mm. if they continue to play with this confidence, because Baker Mayfield doesn't appear to be afraid of anything. And what did he say this morning? He woke up feeling dangerous or something? Yeah, I've had all spite. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the great. He's like, I woke up feeling kind of dangerous. Here, we'll listen to it right now. Actually, and when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. <laughs> I care to expand on that. I just woke up feeling real dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's Baker Mayfield, my friend. I I love Baker Mayfield. Breach is wondering how we heard that. We, we we'll put it back in later. Breach, it's the magic of audio editing. By the you way, didn't the, hear that, Breach? The Falcons. I was just going to say, I wake, like, everyone wakes up every day feeling dangerous. What does that even mean? <laughs> like, I feel dangerous eating breakfast. That doesn't mean I'm going to go out and <laughs> I feel dangerous beat the Falcons. I'm I'd not say, impressed at all. I'd say I don't, I mean, like, I guarantee you tomorrow morning I'm not going to wake up and feel dangerous. I'm going to wake up and be like, oh, man, I just got to grind through this. Mo- oh, no. Oh, no, it's a holiday. My wife and child are at home all day. <laughs> I gotta figure out a way to like act like I'm not gonna lie here and watch Veronica Mars on TV. I'll be working, but that sounds like a great plan for you. 
Well, you made me work all Monday nights anyway, so it's pointless. Oh, never mind. All right, moving on. Let's go. <laughs> By the way, the Falcons' next four games, Cowboys at home, at the Saints, Ravens at home, at the Packers. Yeesh. They get the Cardinals and then close at Buccaneers, at Panthers, at Buccaneers. I'm with you. I think my little Falcons dream is dead. No shoe eating for me. Next up. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the Detroit Lions go into the Chicago Bears and they got curb stomped. This game is ended up being like a 12 point game, but let's be real here, Sean. This wasn't that close. 34 to 22. It was, uh, a truly a good victory for the Chicago Bears, wasn't it? I thought so too, Brinson. Um, <laughs> look, I think it's time for us to acknowledge, oh, and I know you guys like giving me crap and all this. <laughs> I think the Bears are a good football team. I don't know if they're going to win the NFC North, they but said I think Trubisky's garbage. But go ahead. All right, do we want to talk about Mr. Trubisky? Because I think today I've been saying it for weeks on this podcast. <laughs> Wilson can't help but just comment on, "Oh, well, look who he's doing it against. Look who, look who he's playing." I understand the Lions aren't a great football team, but you know what good quarterbacks are supposed to do? They're supposed to beat up and pick apart good or bad football teams, and that's exactly what Trubisky did today. I think this was his most impressive game of the year. I've, obviously, his sixth touchdown game against the Bucks will stand out to most people, but I think anyone who watches the highlights will see that everything was just wide open on that. This, If you go back and watch the highlights in this, he's checking into plays, um, audibling into touchdowns, he looks way more comfortable back there than he has, I think, at any point this year. I, I'm with you guys. I think he's been way too inconsistent. It wouldn't shock me against the Vikings on Sunday night. He comes out and has an absolute dud. But I, what I've been saying from the beginning is he barely played in college. He barely played last year in a middle-age offense. And it was too early to rush to judgment because he had a bad middle of the season. And what I've been seeing over the last month is steady progress. And I think today we saw what he can be like at his peak. I think it's a testament to Matt Nagy. The fact that Trubisky can miss open throws, and you know what? He's still going to create five more open throws, and he's probably not going to miss all five. So I think it's a testament to that. I think Allen Robinson came back today, and he looked healthy for the first time in a while. I think that made a big difference. Had 133 yards and two touchdowns. And then you have Cool Mack coming back, and I he had two sacks. And I there's a really good clip on, of him on Twitter getting um, – Chipped by the tight end, running through that, and just bowling over the line's left tackle. Oh, and the, the, well, the left tackle got his foot stepped on right before he fell over. Oh, okay. But okay. I don't don't let the facts. Says the guy who's tweeting out that Quentin Nelson clip of him getting tripped and he didn't get tripped. Over. I mean, I'm just telling you. I mean, like point was, being, I the Lions aren't good, but the Bears to your to your point, Brinson, this wasn't a 12 point game. This was the blowout in the in the second quarter, and. We're going to find out a lot more about the Bears, I think, in the next week because they get the Vikings on Sunday night, and then they have to turn around and play the Lions on Thursday morning. And that is just a that's a really quick turnaround to play the play the Sunday night game and then the Thursday morning game. Do I sounds like sounds like you're already making excuses for them, Sean? Oh, the Thanksgiving Thursday. I was like Thursday morning. I was like, why? Yeah, because they have the things they have they have the first Thanksgiving game and they got flexed into Sunday night. No, I, I, I think the, the important game is Minnesota and then you worry about Detroit after that. Cause if, if you beat Minnesota, it's at home. They have to win that game. Cause I don't think they're going to Minnesota week 17 and winning that if they have to win it. Hmm. I, I will say this. Trubisky played extremely well today, uh, Sunday. I will not take that away from him. I was just busting Sean's chops. And I thought Matt, Matt Nagy made a good point after the game and that he is willing to give Trubisky room to grow and to make mistakes and, let him run the offense and let him do all the things that he did, check out the plays and all that, whereas you got the sense that John Fox was having none of that, probably because he didn't know there were more than three or four plays. 
But um, yeah, I have no issue with the way he played. I, I have issue with Matt Patricia putting a terrible team out there and Matt Patricia dressing like a slob again after calling out people for uh, what do you say? Have some respect for yourself. Sit I mean, up, sit up while you're posture. asking your questions. Come on, man. Like you can't be professional. You can't feel that team have uh, Matt, Matthew Stafford take six sacks after taking 10 sacks in the last game and say they were the straight face that you need to, to have better posture. You can't, you can't show up looking like somebody who's been touring with fish for three months and then be like, I need you to sit up in your seat while you ask me questions on this Thursday morning. Like, buddy, like you got like patchouli in your beard. Get out of here. Nobody needs to hear that. Uh, I'm with you there. And, and look, the Bears are just a better team. I think they, I think that when they're healthy at wide receiver and at, 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 they're just complete. They're a complete team. I don't think that the schedule makers did them any favors. Getting the Vikings after a bye on a, on a primetime game, even at home, is a nightmare. Week 17 in Minnesota is a nightmare. So there are only three home games left for Chicago are the Vikings, the Rams, and the Packers. They're going one and two in those games. I mean, Brinson, I actually disagree. I think the schedule looks really friendly. I look at their schedule. They're six and three. The three losses were by a total of 11 points. This team could borderline be nine and oh, I see Sean like almost rolling his eyes. They should have lost. How, they should have lost how the Cardinals. How frustrated he is that which one they should they have lost? They should have lost to the Cardinals. So I look at the end of their schedule. I, I think they go one and one again. I think they only lose two, maybe three games max the rest of the season. I think they're 11 and 5, 10 and 6, could top out in 12 and 4. I mean, they play the Lions, the Giants, the 49ers. To me, that's three locks. They go one and one against the Vikings. There's four more wins. And then maybe you get one against the Rams and Packers, and that's five more wins. Like, I hate agreeing with Sean more than anything in my life. Anything. But I do think the Bears are good. And the only thing I didn't like about them today is that Jordan Howard didn't give me more fantasy points, and now I'm going to lose to Ryan, and I don't even want to play fantasy football ever again. Sean is the uh, Marvin Lewis of podcasters. (laughs) Marvin Lewis has a long career. He's gotten paid. I'll (laughs) take it. Look, I'll I'll say this about the Bears. A week ago... I aspire to a low ceiling, damn it! Would you? I would be the Marvin Lewis of of whatever career field you're in. Congratulations! He's he's been employed a long time. He's had some good success. Sure, he hasn't made it to the top, but you know he's doing fine for himself. He doesn't have to worry about. If he gets fired, he's fine. Universally disliked and mocked, but yeah, I will. uh, (laughs) No, not respected by his peers. No, no, he's hated by breach. I think we're being a bit too harsh on Marvin Marvin, Lewis. uh, I actually think Marvin Lewis is a little bit underrated now, but uh, that's. That's here there. All right, let's move on. The bear. Would you, would you want one more point of the Bears here, Sean? I was just going to say a week ago, I you asked me to rank the NFC North, and I said the Vikings were clearly ahead of the second and third ranked teams, and I said the Packers and Bears were really close. After watching the Packers today, and I know they won convincingly by the final score, I think the Bears are better than the Packers, and I think when we were talking about the Bears' schedule, they have to play the Rams and the Packers. I think they will go one on one that stretch, but I think they're going to beat the Packers at home. They almost beat them on the road, and I think. Because it's in Chicago, they're going to win that game. I can get down with the idea that the Bears are better than the Packers. Mike McCarthy's got to go, got to go, just got to go. They need, they just need, they need to reboot. They need, they need something fresh. Uh, let's talk about that game. The Miami Dolphins went to Green Bay. Sean, I believe you were in charge of watching this game. It was a scorcher. I watched most of this game as well. Although, um, I got to tell you, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. This is one of those games where good on the Packers for taking care of business against a bad team. I mean, the Bears lost to the Dolphins a few weeks ago, and so, so it's not a given that they would have just won, and they won by a, a 19 point margin. 
But this felt like the game where the Packers were not playing particularly well, and they were just waiting for Brock Osweiler to make a Brock Osweiler type of moment, and it happened with the interception. So I don't know if there's anything to celebrate for the Packers in terms of how they played. The one silver lining I will say is that Aaron Jones obviously ran the ball really well, 145 yards on 15 carries. Maybe that matters down the stretch. I don't know. I feel like we've been talking about Aaron Jones for at least a year about how they need to feed him more. And whenever it seems like he's about like ready to take on that role, McCarthy goes away from him. So we'll see. But I, that could be important down the stretch. I don't know if I have any takeaways from Miami. I'll tell, uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell, they're playing Brock Osweiler. They're going to be bad. I'll tell you this about the Packers. That game was 14-12 to 12 with 11.43 left in the third quarter. There is no reason the Packers should have let Miami hang around. They couldn't close out. Uh, they just kept, you know, they, they, the defense played well in the red zone against Brock Osweiler, but that's great. I mean, they held him to field goals. I mean, goody for you. And then they needed, like you said, Aaron Jones to rip off a long touchdown. It, th- this is the problem with the Packers that bugs me, guys, is that they're like, this is sort of like sitting around, like waiting and like not studying for the test, not studying for the test, not working on the paper. And then all of a sudden it's the day of the test or the day the papers do. And they just like hustle up and get it done and like, like let Aaron Rodgers little like magical, like as somebody who does this, I, I, I mean, I, I support that method, but, um, that like Aaron Rodgers magical powers carry them over the top. And it bothers me because they could be so much better if they instituted a functional offense that got guys open on a regular basis. Moving along. Let's talk about Derek Carr. Brenton's arch nemesis. <laughs> we need some arch nemesis music. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so the Chargers stomped the Raiders. Speaking of teams that let uh, another team hang around, this game was uh, ten to. Th- it was three to three uh, in the second quarter, and then um, the Raiders trimmed it down to seventeen to six. The Chargers weren't outstanding against uh, against Oakland on on this Sunday, but they were good enough to get the win. And and the Raiders are terrible. Um, so instead of talking about this actual game, and I think the Chargers are legit one of the three best teams, but let's talk about my arch nemesis. Well, well, wait, wait, before we get to your story, I do want to say something on the Raiders real quick, because I did see a a good portion of this game, and the thing was, they weren't horrible. They they drove down. What killed them was that they drove down, they got inside the Chargers 20-yard line four times, only scored once, and it was a field goal. You get in a team inside a team's 20-yard line, you only come away with three points on four visits. Like, that doesn't even seem possible. One of them, you guys saw the, uh, the bad call on fourth and goal at the one yard line. They got stuffed by the Chargers. That was on their opening possession. Derek Carr, your boy that you're going to talk about, fumbled away, uh, fumbled a turnover at the 20 yard line. So they lost one there. And then the one that started everything at the end of the game was the Derek Carr throwaway on the screen pass, John. Down. See, it wasn't a screen. I don't think it was a screen pass. So, uh, this is a perfect segue to Brinson. All right. The, 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 yeah. This, you're right. They did. You're right, Breach. That's a great call. Four times. You turned it over twice on downs, once on a fumble. Yeesh. Um, and so, 20 to 6, Chargers are leading. Fourth and five in the red zone. The Raiders are coming out of a timeout. Derek Carr gets the ball. The offensive linemen look like they're blocking, but they stop blocking. They block so poorly that it almost looked like a screen because the defenders got in quickly. And, he sees Jalen Richard out there to the right and he just, he, he turfs it. And like Richard was covered, didn't look like there was anybody else open. He was having a pass rush bearing down on him, but it's fourth down. You can't throw the ball. Like you have to just throw it as high, like and throw it up into the end zone and hope somebody can go run and get it. Right? I mean, right? Well, the worst case is you throw it in the end zone and it's intercepted and then they get it at the 20. Well, you don't throw it into the turf and then 
Right. Have no recourse other than to walk off I the mean, field. I mean, don't get sacked. I'm with you there, but you don't throw it in the turf. You at least got to try and make something happen. So Unless you're throwing a screen pass. Unless you're throwing a screen pass. Well, no, then you still don't throw it in the turf. So anyway, I recorded that and tweeted out the thing. It was like, uh, because this is like the second or third time in the last few weeks where Derek Carr has either slid super early in a blowout or just looked like he was checked out. I don't think he's like tanking or doesn't care. I think he's a passionate young man who really likes football, but – Anyway, his older brother, David Carr, who you may know from being the former first overall draft pick of the Houston Texans, who later went on to play for the Carolina Panthers, at which point I nicknamed him Mr. Mittens because he wore these dainty <laughs> little gloves. And I started a website called MrMittens.com. And I wrote about the Carolina Panthers on Mr. Mittens. Oh Brinson's life has come full circle. This is amazing. And so Derek Carr tweet quote tweets somebody else who's tweeting about me and it's like, it was a screen pass. There was no one else to check down to. He was the first option. And uh says the guy who's a senior writer because he has a blue check mark and works for CBS or something like that, something condescending where he didn't tag me. He then blocks me. His old his, uh, Derek Carr then blocks me. Uh, Darren Carr, who's the third Cooper Manning version of the brothers, he's already blocked me like a long time ago. He apparently hates me because I'm, I'm sarcastic and not nice about Derek Carr. Uh, and sure. I was, ha- I was having this conversation with Vic Tefer of, of The Athletic and just like while we were on this podcast actually, and he was like, I was like, he, he tweeted out, he's like, Derek Carr's, their throws perfectly symbolic of this Raiders season. I was like, watch out, they might block you. He's like, yeah, they've been blocking me and I'm blocking me for years. This is the most sensitive family in football. It's, come, get out of here. Get out of here. This, this, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's not when two weeks ago you kept saying that Derek Carr was crying on the field when he got thrown against the Seahawks in London. I didn't say that. You said he was crying like a little baby and then you literally went, <laughs> <did> wait, <laughs> This is the fake news podcast. So you, he didn't block you for that, but he was, the, this, the, the difference was when you started well, talking about him throwing screen passes. I think all we need to know about Brenton getting criticized by David Carr is that in June before the season, David Carr for NFL.com did write an article ranking his top quarterbacks for the 2018 season, and he ranked Derek Carr fourth behind only <laughs> Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady. So I don't, I don't, we need, we don't need to go in and we don't need to criticize him anymore. Look, I think that speaks for itself. Number five, why number, he's defending his brother. You know who number five was? Ago. You know who number five was, right? It was Darren Carr. So this, 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 <laughs> I don't even know if Darren Carr's a person. But two years ago, <laughs> we were this. talking about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate. 2016 season, he balled out and then he broke his leg in late December. I have no idea what happened between then and now. It's not all John Gruden grimacing on the sidelines and having, you know, making disappointed in you faces at Derek Carr every time he comes back over there. But uh there was a point in time not too long ago where Derek Carr was really, really good. And I think he earned that contract that he got. But now he's not really, really good. And it is weird that his brother takes it so personally, especially given the backstory with David Carr, who took 70 sacks a year for three and a half years or whatever and then got traded around the league and was a backup for the rest of his career. He knows what it means to not play well in the NFL. And it's one thing to stick up for your family members, whatever. But it just seems like a weird hill to die on, uh, Derek Carr throwing the fourth down pass straight into the dirt, clearly not a screen, uh, clearly at the detriment of his team trying to matriculate the ball down the field, and clearly the case where John Gruden does not like Derek Carr to the point that I would imagine that there's going to be some conversations in the offseason about who the quarterback will be in 20, uh, 2019. I, I, just, I, I think it's worth pointing out that while what the throw by Derek Carr was not great, the play call by John Gruden was worse. 
coming out of the timeout, they asked Gruden about it, and like you could tell the reporters were trying to like dance around, it like, "Hey, did Derek Carr spike that ball on the turf?" And Gruden's like, "I got, I got to look at the thing. It wasn't a great call." Um, and then, but Derek Carr was asked about it. He said the only like read they had in the play was to Jalen Richard. Are you telling me that you designed a fourth down play trailing by two touchdowns in the other team's red zone where your only play call, the only read on the play is to Jalen Richard? Like there wasn't a second read, a third read, a half? I mean, like, I don't That's crazy, man. I mean, this team is a disaster. All I I wanted to say that, to be honest, Brinson, I'm a little bit jealous that you are now being branded as the CBSSports.com Derek Carr hater because to Wilson's point, uh, when people were thinking about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate, I actually wrote an article before the 2016 season that I just pulled up about why Derek Carr's late season slump should concern the Raiders heading into 2016. And I basically looked at his 2015 season and over his final eight games, he developed a lot of worrying traits. Anyway, article comes out, Raiders fans bash me. I got dragged on Twitter. It doesn't help that Wilson's right in 2016. Are you blocked? Are you, blo- are you blocked by Derek Carr? I'm not. That's I went and looked, and I was like, man, he hasn't blocked me. Uh, there are certain Oakland-based media members even uh, criticizing me for the story. 2016 season who? happens. Who? Derek Carr looks like an MVP candidate. Name a name. John has an Oakland beef. Name an Oakland. Who's, no, who's... We're, we're saving it, Brenton, when the Raiders move on. Because I have certain tweets already saved from which this guy oh, came after me. Who is this? Name the names. He said to me, in, in names. He, he said, while he was trying to argue, one, he said, I've never heard of this guy referencing me. And Fair uh, point. I know every single person who's prominent enough and worthy to follow that, like, this guy, therefore... Dismiss his opinion. Who is and this? Then he, and then he, he quote retweeted it? me, and he said, why don't we play a game? You bet against him, I'll bet for him, and we'll see who wins. So we'll, we'll wait until we get finality on this Derek Carr situation for our, before you know before we see who actually won the game. But I would just say I'm feeling fairly confident that my analysis from 2015 is holding up in the long run because I think what we've seen – to Wilson's point about how did this guy go from being an MVP candidate to a bad quarterback is the team around him has deteriorated. And it was the team that was propping him up, and it was a touchdown rate that was not sustainable. It happened with Carson Wentz last year. I'm not saying Carson Wentz is a bad quarterback, but he was throwing touchdowns at an incredibly high rate, and that's just not the way it works. Over time, you're just you're going to regress, and the team's going to run the ball. You're going to get tackled at the one-yard line, and the team's going to run the ball. And this is what's happened. And when I look, this Derek Carr play to me isn't symbolic of the season. It's symbolic of his career because he has built such a habit of the first sign of pressure, backpedaling and throwing the ball away to avoid a sack or an interception to the point where it actually hurts his team because he's not willing to stick in there and find someone in the face of pressure. That when I watch this play, I don't think he realized in the moment it was fourth down because for him it was automatic. I'm under pressure. I got to get rid of it. And if you look at the play, as soon as he throws it, he reacts like, oh, my God, I – now I understand it was a fourth down. I shouldn't have done that. But it, he's built such a habit in his mind that before even pressure arrives, he has to dirt it. I, and I, that has always been the problem with him. At the first hint of pressure, he has been a terrible quarterback. The Raiders used to have a really good offensive line. They don't have that anymore. And I think that's why Derek Carr suddenly sucks. And I saw somebody else point out, too. It's like, may, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe Derek Carr would be great if he was in an un- uncomplicated system where he just gets to go out there and play like a you know like a – Run it, you know, run a gun style thing instead of having to run this Gruden system. And 
could be a bad fit. So seriously, Sean, name the media member because I I remember you talking about this, but I need names. I honestly, off. I would have to find his name. I don't I don't, I don't remember. His name. You don't oh, know. Sean, Sean, he, had, he had a radio show in the Bay Area at the time. Now he used to work for the Athletic. He did some stuff for Bleach Report with Doug Farrar when they did their top hundred ratings. Um, I don't know where he's at now. I think he has a podcast. What's Sean, show? who's a bigger fraud, Derek Carr or the Patriots? Derek Carr. I mean, I've been saying this since before he got his MVP love. I I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. I think Brinson's right. He's the kind of quarterback who, if he has someone open and all he has to do is throw it to that person, he's a really good because he has such a great arm and he's not inaccurate. The problem is that as soon as there's a little um, little bit of pressure, his, his footwork goes to crap and he bails on plays way too early. He's uh, a top fifteen quarterback. Uh, he's a he's poor not, man's Andy Dalton. He is not top fifteen. He is definitely not a top fifteen quarterback. You don't really think that, do you? He's not. He's not. He's not close. Wilson, are you delayed to car? Is there something we don't know here? I blocked you all on Twitter. That's Mitt, what you're asking. It's Mr. Bittens. Um, um, no, but he's 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 replacement level, and he can find a job, and he'll get a starting job. I would rather have him in, in New York than Eli Manning, for example. <laughs> but a, Eli Manning's not like Eli Manning's not a top thirty. He's not a top thirty quarterback. <laughs> He's still out there every week. This whole roll him out of there. Uh, yeah, yes, he is. He is thirty-one or thirty-two. It's like him Joe and Oswald. I'd rather have him, man. I'd rather have. I'd rather have him start in, in Tampa Bay over those two stiffs. No way, Sean. Would no? you rather have James Winston or Derek Carr? See, that's how much he thinks. Hold of on, no, this James, James Winston. If wow. You, I mean, I think off the field concerns are a legit concern with James, but if you're just talking about in terms of actual playing quarterback, I think Winston. What about has shown the ability to maybe get better? What about um in Washington? He would be better than Alex. 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 I would. I would rather have Alex Smith right now. But I mean, if you factoring in age, of course, you got your hope. Yeah, I know you hate him. My point is that you hate him, and I get all that. But he, there could, there are many worse. Not many. There are several worse options out there. I, I think top fifteen, the state of quarterbacking, we see it every week about how every week is the best week in terms of NFL history of passer rating among every single quarterback who played. I think top fifteen football. doesn't mean much anymore. Andy Dalton, think, Andy Dalton, or Derek Carr. No, I like I, Andy Dalton does well Andy in that system. But Andy, they're not them. They're not that dissimilar. Also, he would be inducted to the Hall of Fame tomorrow morning if he were playing in Buffalo right now. Derek Carr? You're and right. Dalton. That's who the Bills are probably going to – no, I guess they have Josh Allen. I don't know where Derek Carr goes. But. Giants. He's going to the Giants. Jason Lockerford predicted it on this podcast uh, weeks ago. Anyway, speaking of the Bills, you mentioned them. They played a football game, and they beat the snot out of the New York Jets, and it could result uh, as soon as people you – know, I, I really think it could happen as soon as Monday. I think we could see Todd Balls getting fired. Buffalo Bills came out, and they scored 14 points in the first quarter, 28 point, no, 31 points in the first half, covered the over-under by themselves. Matt, MVP Barkley, 15 to 25 for 232 and a pair of touchdowns. LaShawn McCoy uh, scored his first rushing touchdown of the year and actually ended up with two of them, 26 carries, 113 yards, and and two touchdowns. This is a bloodbath. Not much more to say about it. Uh, bad look for Todd Bowles, who is hurtling towards the unemployment line, and they will go out and get somebody for Sam Darnold uh, who can help that offense. That's really all we're going to say. One question real quick. Okay. What on earth is going – first of all, Sean Wagner McGuff got owned by Sean McDermott, number one. Number two <laughs> – Oh, yeah, you're right. Fair, but, fair, considering every week I do throw a little jab in. Yeah, take that. Take, take your wins. We're not going to have many. Take it <laughs> But on what planet does Nathan Peterman still have a job? I don't understand <laughs> how he has an NFL job. 
And this is exactly part of my criticism of Sean McDermott is that he's mis- mismanaged his quarterback situation ever since he got the job. Nathan he Peterman. Benched, he once benched Tyrod Taylor in the middle of a playoff run for Nathan Peterman. And I agree with you. I mean, we, I, we were talking about this during the day. If Matt Barkley can come in and in a week overtake Nathan Peterman on the depth chart, why is Nathan Peterman on the depth chart? Wouldn't you rather – if anyone can come in off the street and replace him in a week of learning the system – why is he still there? It, this probably isn't related at all, but I just need to say, I think the, the way the Bills have handled this quarterback situation from giving Derek Anderson the starting job 11 days after signing him, now Matt Barkley a week after signing him, kind of debunks this whole idea of no one can sign Kaepernick because he has to learn the system, and it'll take him a year to learn the system. If you're signing Matt Barkley off the street and starting seven days later, anyone can learn your system. Um Fun, fun. Except Nathan Peterman. So just, just, just really, just really quickly, just to point this out too, because we're not going to get off a cat tangent here. Okay, it's a football podcast. Stick to sports, Sean. Um, Nathan Peterman and Pitt once scored forty-three points on a Clemson team that won a national championship by beating Alabama. So anybody who thinks that Bama is going to beat the Bills, get the hell out. Get out. You're a clown. They would get blasted by the Bills. The Bills. By are- the way, you're the same person that you said days ago that there is no way the Bills can score 30 points and they would not be able to cover. I didn't say it would. Yeah, yeah, no, they would, they would, they could score 30 points on the on Bama. Uh, although Bama certainly would have played better, I think, than the, than the Jets did on this fine Sunday. Uh, Alex Smith was th- bandied about. His name is bandied about. Ryan, he went down to Tampa Bay and the Bucks did something historic, didn't they? Do you know what they did? No, what did they do that's historic? I mean, losing is not historic for Tampa Bay. They are, um, I believe, the first team. Is it the first team? It's the first, yes, yeah, the first team ever to have more than 450, 425 total yards and score three points or less. <laughs> they had 501 yards, 29 first downs, almost double as the Redskins, and they scored three points. Well, here's the thing. Sorry. Then after the game, Dirk Cutter's like, "Yes, I did take over play calling." It's like you shouldn't have said that, dude. Like, what are you doing? What he should have said is, "I I took over play calling until the red zone, and then I gave it back to Monk and the because they had the the very first series. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick threw an interception to Josh uh, Josh McNorman. Josh Norman. (laughs) That was a really nice, a really nice interception. Fantastic interception. Uh, Jaquiz Rogers fumbled later in the game and got punched out back into the end zone. They were approaching the red zone. A fumble by, uh, Fitzpatrick later in the second half. Another interception by Fitzpatrick. So it adds up and, uh, you can gain all the yards you want between the twenties, but if you get into the red zone and just give the ball away, you're going to lose. And I guess they were lucky to score three points. Thing is, Alex Smith threw for 178 yards. Uh, his quarterback rating was 105. His QBR was 21.6 or 61.6, excuse me. But, um, Defense in Washington continues to play well. You can say that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers often stalled, but also they had to, um, the Redskins generated those turnovers. And that was a huge win. I honestly, they, let's see, the Redskins had uh, 60% of their offensive line out. They only had two guys that were regular starters. I thought going into this game, they could lose it if Ryan Fitzmagic could hold it together in the red zone. He could not. And this is huge. This win is even huger when you see what happened Sunday night with the Cowboys and, and the Eagles. The Eagles are fading. I'm not too worried about the Cowboys maintaining any momentum after this win. Uh, that said, and, and Breach sort of touched on this, the Redskins are the best team in the division, but I don't know how great I feel about them over the next seven or eight games. So the Redskins 
schedule over the next uh, seven games? Have you seen it? Because it's not it's not hard. Cake. They yeah. have the Texans. The Texans are the only team with a winning record they have left. They have the Cowboys once on the road, uh, Eagles road and home, Giants at home, Jaguars road, Titans road. And so I mean, like it's not an easy. I mean, it's not a guaranteed. You know, a bunch of wins. What's insane is that the Redskins have now played nine games, and there has not been a single lead change in one game this season. How the hell is that possible, Breach? Uh, it's not. I, I don't even believe I mean, it that, is. that. It is. Except that I know it's true because I, when you, it doesn't seem possible. Like it, it's almost as improbable as putting up 501 yards and only scoring three points. Uh, it, it's just not believable. The thing with the Redskins, though, is that you look at their schedule, and that schedule is so easy that all, literally all they need to do is split with the Eagles mm-hmm. and beat the Cowboys, and they're going to be division champion because that puts them three games up on both those teams, and you're not going to blow that uh, over five games. So it's just like they literally just need to get win those two games, and they're probably going to be the division champions. It's like the Redskins are going to be maybe the worst playoff team of all time unless they play the Bears. Do you remember that Seahawks team that did play the Bears in 2011? I think they were the losing record, first losing record division winner. Um, what I wanted to say yes, about yes, we remember that. Thanks, Ryan. Um, what I wanted to say about the Bucks is that speaking of, we talked about Todd Bowles probably losing his job. Dirt Cutter is pro- Dirt Cutter is probably going to be fired. And imagine being on the hot seat where you're fighting for your job and having to bench your starting quarterback for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that's what. Dirk Cotter had to do. That's how bad the situation is. And if anyone listening to this podcast has not seen the play at the end, near the end of the first quarter, Ryan Fitzpatrick scrambles out of the pocket, runs almost 10 yards downfield, and then throws a forward pass. You have to watch it. It was, it was my favorite play of the week. Here's the thing, though. Like, what could Dirk Cotter have done today better? Like, he literally called a perfect game. With Four Ryan points. Fitzpatrick as his quarterback, they put up 501 yards. It's not his fault that Fitzpatrick threw, what, two interceptions, uh, lost, a fumble. A, a fumble, lost two fumbles inside the 25-yard line. It's not his fault that his kicker missed two field goals inside the 25-yard Not The kickers were longer than – the field goals were longer than 25 yards, but the line of scrimmage was inside the 25-yard line. So it's like he put his team in position to win. They were just horrible. It was like – all of the Fitzmagic dust is uh, blown away, and, you know, maybe it is time to blow things up and start over there. But I, I wouldn't blame this loss on the coach. It was just a bunch of dumb oh, plays. Yeah. I just I feel like this is just what happens when you have to turn to Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's just you're going to get these turnover well, plays, and there's Cutter nothing said, to coach. You can't coach him out of that. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Cutter said he's, he's considering going back to Jamise. <laughs> so heads up I mean, there, there's no hope for him. They've had more quarterback changes than the Reds, Redskins have had lead changes. That's <laughs> and probably will by the time the season's over. That's pretty incredible. Um, okay, the, the Buccaneers are trash. Arizona KC, KC rolled in this one. Sean's precious little Chiefs, however, were not able to cover the spread. I had the uh, Cardinals covering the sixteen and a half, and they did with ease. Although the pick six at the pick the interception at the end, I nearly went for six the other way. Um, I, I like. I don't take a whole. I don't take a whole ton out of this. I. Because the Chiefs are just a better team and they played like the better team and they controlled this game most of the time. I will say though, 
that for people who own David Johnson in fantasy or hoping David Johnson can play well this season, it is extremely encouraging that he would get nine targets, seven catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown, and have 21 carries for 98 yards and a score. I think that you actually saw Byron Leftwich breach start to put together some stuff that made you think the Arizona Cardinals could be decent. And to me, Josh Rosen has a little bit of that vibe. Like, I kind of like what he's what he's cooking up. Yeah, it was like, where was this Cardinals team all season? I've never been encouraged by a team losing by nearly two touchdowns. But watching this game, it felt like the Cardinals were in it the whole time. And it's not like, you know, these weren't two evenly matched teams. But, uh, you know, David Johnson had his way with the Chiefs defense. And and the Cardinals beat up Patrick Mahomes. He had his worst game of the season. They were just, I mean, if a team showed a way to beat the Cardinals, it was kind of what the or the Chiefs, it's kind of what the Cardinals did on defense. Like, they were just suffocating Mahomes. I think they sacked him five times, threw for under 250 yards. And so it was kind of crazy to see the Cardinals play so well. I mean, this was a 20-14 to game until the fourth quarter. And and it really, it it wasn't one of those 20-14 games where you're like, I know the Chiefs are going to win this. It felt like, hey, they could lose this. And, And so I thought it was pretty crazy to watch. But like you said, I, in the end, I don't think it tells us, you know, it's not bad about the Chiefs. They played a bad team. They probably weren't that motivated. They won the game. That's all that matters. Uh, but it was interesting seeing the Cardinals play so well. How about, uh, the Jaguars? They lost as well. Are the Jaguars toast breach? They went in there, uh, to Indianapolis and got out muscled by the Colts, lose 29 to 26. The game wasn't that close either. Indy was up for most of the game. And, uh, despite getting lit for net back, Jacksonville couldn't do a whole lot, could they? I mean, they lost. Five in a row. If this team is not done, and it's really crazy because obviously we watched them last year. Their defense carried them pretty much the entire season except for like the three quarters for the whole year that Blake Bortles played well. Uh, But now it's like their defense, they all hate each other. They don't get along. They're not going to be sending Christmas cards to each other. It's just like it's like what the Bengals defense did. It's everybody's nobody's on the same page. Nobody knows what they're doing. And they're just getting picked apart, shredded, torched, whatever word you want to use. Uh, Andrew Luck went out there, had a field day. The Colts were up 21 to seven by the second quarter. And the thing with Andrew Luck right now is that he didn't get sacked in this game. And, and like, we're talking about a dude who missed an entire year because he got beat up so bad because he played behind so many horrible offensive lines. And now all of a sudden, I think we're at four games in a row where he hasn't been sacked. I mean, obviously that's not sustainable, but uh, as much as the Jags are dead, I think the Colts are alive. And now the Colts and Titans both look good. AFC South is kind of the, the, the wild card crazy race as we head down the stretch here. I would, uh, I would tend to agree. Sean, who would you favor in the AFC South if you had to pick one team? I would probably take the Texans just because they have the advantage. I don't know if any of these teams are that much better than each other that they can overcome this advantage. But if you're asking me to rank who I think is better right now, I'd say the Titans. Ooh, how about you, Ryan? I don't know if they can catch them, though. Uh, well, I'm on the Texans bandwagon since I picked them before the season, but uh, the Colts, I mean, if you look at that schedule, and I'm trying to find it, but it seems like Andrew Luck has gone hundreds of snaps without getting sacked. I can't find it. I had, thought I had the um, tweet saved. Four but, straight yeah. games, zero sacks. So whatever, 60 plays a game, 60 times four, 240. Is that right? So something in that neighborhood, that's insane because – and actually, you watch him today, he runs out of bounds. He doesn't try to take on blockers. He doesn't try to be like Ryan Fitzmagic and run through people, um, which doesn't ever make sense. 
But uh, I like the way they're playing. I like Frank Reich. I like what he's done. That defense is playing so much better than they ever did on Chuck Pagano, which is weird because Chuck Pagano was supposed to be a defensive guy. He came from Baltimore. Uh, I'll ride the Texans until the wheels fall off, which should be in the next few weeks, I would imagine. They have the worst six-game winning streak in, in organized sports. <laughs> but uh, for now, yeah, I mean, I like Deshaun Watson. I, li- I like the Texans' defense. But I think that the way it sets up for the Colts, they can make a run. Jaguars being left for dead. I'm fine with it. The Colts could make a run too. I think the Colts or Titans will win. Yes. By the way, quickly one thing. Uh, just a general question. If you had Leonard Fournette on your fantasy team, would you have started him today? Oh yeah, hundred percent, without question. Anybody who didn't start him tomorrow. Who didn't start him? There's he was no one didn't start him. Surely everyone started him. He was active. You would always start Leonard Fournette if he's active. Right? I would like to hear Breach's thoughts on this. Breach, Guys. by the way, for those listening who aren't, you know, in this fantasy league, John Breach and Ryan Wilson jockeying for a playoff, uh, positioning and, uh, and, and Breach, uh, sat Leonard Fournette and lost to Ryan as a result. Not yet. I have to, Saquon needs 19 points. That's, <laughs> he's the most superstitious guy. Mike Evans needed five points to beat, beat me. Ba- he wouldn't, ba- he wouldn't accept that he had won. Basically, I'm 19 points ahead going into Monday. However, I would be 49 points ahead. If I had started Leonard Fournette, which I did not because two times this year I started him and he got hurt during the game. And then I ended up losing because he didn't play both games. I lost by less than 10 points. I was not going to get burnt by Leonard Fournette again. I talked with my coaching staff on Sunday morning and we agreed that it was in the best interest of the team not to play Leonard Fournette. We kept him on the bench. We started Jordan Howard. And we're up by 19 points. And that's how Todd Bowles got fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that in mind, it is time for Sean's Big Milk Thirsty Segment of the Week. Sean, please explain to us what T-H-O-T means. <laughs> I'm not walking into that trap. <laughs> All right. Tell us tell us about Holly Berry and Jared Goff. Oh, yeah. That was a nice little story that emerged uh, Sunday night. Jared Goff, who, by the way, I believe was, was seven or eight years old when – um, the movie came out where Halle Berry won her Academy Award during the win over the Seahawks. He, what movie? For instance, uh, Monster Something. He was seven. Know. He was seven when Monster. That came Monster? out two thousand and one. I think uh, Jared Goff was born in nineteen ninety four. Okay. Um, at the line of scrimmage during the game, he called out an audible. It wasn't Omaha. It wasn't New York Bozo. It was Halle Berry. And after the game, McVeigh actually said that he did it as a tribute to Barry, who I think he called him beautiful. Her, he called her beautiful. Um, and then Jared Goff refused to talk about it, except that Jared Goff said that he was very excited when he learned that she had heard about it. Halle Berry tweeted, what is this about at Jared mm-hmm. Goff? And Jared Goff replies, it's my favorite play ever. And so maybe we got a new couple in Hollywood. We'll see. A little bit of an age difference, so I wouldn't put my money on it. Um, still a fun little Twitter thing for the young people. If Jimmy Garoppolo was going on dates with porn stars, I think Goff and Howie Berry's at least believable. We'll just we'll get our boys at TMZ see see what kind of stuff they hunt down on the dating scene over the next couple of weeks. Oh, she's not married. There's some interesting like replies in there where Todd Gurley says uses an acronym for something that we don't really understand, uh, and, and with like laughter emojis. He's clearly being sarcastic because everyone respects Holly Berry as a woman of um, of, of great uh, great. She's she's a beautiful woman. She's fantastic. Uh, but then Andrew Whitworth, this is the one that got me. It's Andrew Whitworth who's like my age 
Like he's in between my age and Ryan's age. He's like doing like the monkey covering eyes emoji, which is like what you would do if you're like if your little brother was out there trying to hit on on somebody who is famous. Uh, as that's what that meant. I don't know what any of this stuff means. Yeah, uh, I will say this though. Uh, Breach calls it egg, egg corns, but he at least pronounces Halle Berry correctly. You call her like my wife. You call her Holly Berry. It's Halle. Me. So Holly Berry. <laughs> that didn't sound right. Up here, she was a she was a gosh, she was a Bond girl in two thousand three. Man, we were, were just talking about this. That was my first Bond movie in theaters. Yeah, she's older than me. Di- and, di- um, di- about this. Di- she's di- better looking than you too, Wilson. Ooh. Wrong. She's f- sorry. She's fifty two. Cutting deep. Ryan, are you fifty two? Not even close. Are you fifty eight? What the high school, John Fox? What's up? Holly Berry was also married to David Justice back in the day. Yeah, oh god, I forgot about that. Man, that was oh, I got Sean has no idea who David Justice is. What the Yankees player? Of course yeah. I do. Braves player first, dum dum. <laughs> Did he not play for the Yankees? That, that was during the crazy Atlanta sports era when uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez, uh, yeah. I think, burnt down Andre Rising's house. That's right. Yeah, I don't know he, about this. See, That's, yeah, she's been married three times though. But I, I was just assuming that she was married or, you know, so good news for Jared Goff. All right, Sean, you're the only single guy out there. If you see a woman who's been married, ladies, pick six, ladies of the pick six podcast as we, as we creep. You got a, you got a big female listenership. I think it's bigger than you think. Uh, as we creep into the 75 minute mark of this, of this Sunday recap, um, what, uh, Sean, I'm see, probably not going to answer this question. You see a woman's been, been married and, and separated three times and also has a partner who she separated from for a fourth time. Uh, is that a red flag? No. No? That's not, that's not a reason. That's not, that's not a reason to rule someone out. You can't judge someone based, you know, off their past relationship decisions. Love conquers all. Am I right? Why are we talking about this? Is it a red flag that she married a, a New York Yankee? Yes. That's, yes. David Justice. That, that would actually probably rule it out. I actually think that David, they got married when David Justice was on the Braves. Uh, and they got divorced. Divorced when he was on the Yankees. Maybe that's, that's a that's green, points, green flag. Green flags all over the place. All right. This, this podcast is veered into the. Uh, all right. Well, let's all put a percentage on it. Chances of Halle Berry and Jared Goff getting married. Sean, what do you think? Like 5%, 20%, 40%? That's too low. Well, <laughs> Wilson? Yeah, it's not even 1%. I mean, he's 25, are... she's 52. Oh, they both would love that. He's not even 25. He's got to be like 23. Sorry, Jerry Goss biographer. Well, do you, do you covered think... him at... He's 24. Over or under on 1%? Uh, getting married? Uh, yeah. under, under 1%. I will say that I think that there's like a... Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to go high here. I'm going to say 30... 4.7% chance that they go on a date. Oh, what I was going to say, I think the Rams, if they're smart in terms of marketing for the LA folks, they bring her out to a game or something um, because they are in LA. I wouldn't be surprised if this turns into some sort of marketing promo thing for their next home game. Who? Howie Berry and I, everybody dresses up like their favorite character. Alright, uh, over under breach, 450,000 followers over under for Holly Berry on Twitter. Oh, I mean, she's old, so I feel like she's uh, – that's dicey. I would go under, but just barely. She only has 170,000. 
Oh, I, I, I would not, if you okay, said over under two hundred, I would have gone way over. Uh, she was looking uh, yeah. Look at Allie Berry. I thought when I looked at her Twitter, I was like, I bet she's got like five million followers. She is so. How many famous. followers? This golf, golf probably has more followers than her. Well, one hundred thirty nine. I was looking at that. I was looking at that too. Um, so interesting. Twitter power couple. Twitter power couple could be a good move. So let's get that. Let's get if you if you listen to the show, you like the show. Hashtag uh, golf and Barry. Does that sound good? <laughs> I will. Uh, I will just say, as someone who saw golf as a freshman little kid at Cal dealing with a horrible season, if you would have told me back then that he would be a fringe MVP candidate for the Los Angeles Rams and chatting up Halle Berry on Twitter, I would have called you insane. The fact that he's at this point is just bonkers. And the fact that I went to college with his head coach. <laughs> what are you doing for life, Reach? It is also bonkers. It's, it's the tie. You guys, know, you guys know who I went to college with? Are we going to do this? <laughs> John McDermott. <laughs> and pre- We've all got an NFL head coach, uh, fellow college classmate. It was Sean McVay alive when Holly Berry made her act- acting debut. All right, we got to get out of here. This podcast. Mike, Mike Tomlin? Wilson, we can't end on a mystery. Who'd you go to Thank college you. with, Wilson? Mike Tomlin. Everybody knows that. Everybody this knows podcast that. is just gone. It's first thing I told BMAC when I talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I went to college with Mike Tomlin. He won't remember me. Don't ask him about me. But, all right, this is the Pick 6 Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the shenanigans on a Sunday night. For Ryan Wilson, Sean, <laughs> Sean McDermott. Uh, Sean, Sean, I'm going to go. And John Reach, I'm Will Vincent. Talk to you guys tomorrow.